You're listening to the Two Degrees Podcast, a podcast dedicated to having constructive and positive discussions around climate change and climate-related policy. Two Degrees is a project of the New York Youth Climate Leaders. The opinions and perspectives discussed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the New York Youth Climate Leaders. Welcome to a new episode of Two Degrees. I'm one of your co-hosts, Radesh Singh, um, and for this episode, my other co-host, Bridget Musa, is still on vacation, so I'll be recording this episode by myself. In studio today, we have Democratic State Senate nominee for the 25th District, Jabari Brisport, with us. We'll be talking to him about his climate agenda for the upcoming session. Mr. Brisport is a part of an insurgent freshman class heading to Albany in 2021 that many experts have hailed as one of the most progressive uh, freshman class of legislators in New York State history. We're really excited to be speaking with him today, and we really hope in, you enjoy this interview we have with him. Great. So before we get started, um, Jabari, would you like to introduce yourself and kind of explain why you got into electoral politics in the first place? No problem. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited um, to share my thoughts and share a little bit about myself. Um, so for those who don't know, my name is Jabari Brisport. I'm a public school teacher in Crown Heights who recently won uh, the Democratic nomination for a state Senate in Brooklyn, in the 25th State Senate District. That's like central and west Brooklyn. And I um, got into electoral politics after many years doing movement work and activism, a lot of stuff on same-sex marriage, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, fighting in the streets, and then decided, you know, I got tired of protesting and decided to run for office. I like to say I got, I got tired of marching, so I decided to run. Um, but I ran in 2017 for city council to fight for my community, lost that race, uh, came back again for state senate this year, and won. And I'm over the moon excited to talk more about our message and why we think we can uh, take New York in a much more progressive direction. Definitely. So you mentioned, you know, your activism um, in Brooklyn, um, being a part of uh, the movement for um, Black Lives there. Um, how do you hope your background as an activist in a variety of different struggles translates to your new role as um, a state legislator in Albany? I mean, I plan to be really accountable to movements on the ground. You know, I came out of a movement, you know, a movement for housing justice for all, fully funded education, um, a Green New Deal, and guaranteed healthcare to every single person in this state. And I plan to stay accountable to the people and the movements that got me elected because I believe that it's not so much about my singular candidacy or my singular role in office so much as it is giving the movement a voice and, and, a, and a seat at the table in Albany. Definitely, and you mentioned that you, know, you ran uh, on a Green New Deal for New York State. Um, I was wondering if you can kind of explain more of what you mean by that and your just overall climate agenda that you hope to push as a freshman uh, senator in Albany. Yeah, so things that we need to get right on the immediate when we get there is like um, really pushing for this divestment um, from fossil fuels in the state pension fund, which is really getting held up by the comptroller, accelerating that process. But thinking beyond divestment and how we get to, you know, 100% renewables, it's going to come from taxing the rich and you know making sure we're deeply investing in climate um, protection you know uh, investing billions of extra dollars into uh, clean energy into uh, clean energy infrastructure into resiliency into upgrading our um, buildings to be 
more energy efficient um, and better transportation um, that's more energy efficient and more centered around public transportation, pedestrians and bikes, as opposed to, you know, gas guzzling singular cars. Definitely. You mentioned, you know, um, resiliency. Uh, could you describe how you see kind of climate resiliency play out in your community? Um, you know, obviously Hurricane Sandy back in uh, 2012 devastated New York City and Long Island. Uh, so I was wondering if you can kind of describe how you see, you know, climate resiliency and uh, that connection to like racial justice and climate justice plays out in your district, in your region. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you for asking that because, you know, we always talk about black and brown people being the hardest hit by climate change. And that's readily apparent at a global level. You know, the global south is always hit harder by, you know, hurricanes, monsoons, uh, extensive drought, all of that, you know, the effects of climate change. But even at a local level, when you, like you mentioned Hurricane Sandy, that's a great example because, you know, the areas that are hardest hit were coastal communities that were predominantly black and Latinx. So, you know, you have the far Rockways and Queens was really hard hit. In my, in my district has a neighborhood called Red Hook. Um, and also, you know, Sunset Park, which were pretty hard hit. And Red Hook wasn't, you know, didn't get back on its feet um, for years afterwards from all the, the damage. So when we talk about resiliency, you know, it's, it's some things that are as simple as, you know, ensuring that we have, um, we're building buildings out of better materials that can withstand um, flooding and mold, like, you know, just literally brick. Um, as opposed to wood, but then there's also um, adding more green spaces. You know, when when we have, you know, these urban deserts that are all asphalt and gray stone, then there's nowhere for water to, to be absorbed. It all becomes runoff. And, you know, if we invest more in green spaces and literally just, you know, areas that can absorb water, you know, there's less of a risk of flooding and, and like, you know, overflowing in these communities and flooding damage to those homes. Yeah, and you know, talking about you know the black and brown communities that are most affected by the climate crisis and various climate-related disasters, we're also seeing that you know the same communities that are most affected by the climate crisis are also most impacted by the current coronavirus pandemic. Um, how do you see these two you know crises um, you know connected um, you know in your district, but also across the state? I mean, a lot of the pre-existing conditions that are you know that exacerbate COVID are also, you know, climate related. I mean, asthma is a big one. I grew up, you know, my brother had asthma growing up and that's much more predominant in the black community than other communities. Um, part of that just being the air we breathe, right? But, you know, also the diets that are placed upon us in like low income communities. But, you know, when you have, you know, areas that have, you know, fewer trees or fewer green spaces, you know, to like, you know, help clean the air or, um, you know, or for, or for shade, you know, um, you know, you, you end up with, you know, higher rates of asthma. Or when you have literally in, you know, poor communities, you know, having us close to highways, or in the case of Sunset Park, and rather have them closer to like pecker plants that belch out toxic carbon emissions. So, you know, you have it all being connected where you're subjecting these poor, you know, people of color communities to conditions like asthma through the poor, poor quality of air in their neighborhoods. And then, you know, a virus like COVID um, comes around, which, you know, attacks the lungs and you have, you have people with asthma who are much more liable to be affected by that. Um, it's deeply, um, it's deeply unfortunate. And, you know, in a sense, you know, we have these communities that have been already like, hob you know, hobbled um, by income inequality and just, you know, general um, the racism of urban planning and, uh, you know, how we subjected them to live where, where they live. And then COVID comes along as well and just adds on to that. Yeah, definitely. And you, you also um, earlier mentioned about uh, in order to you know, finance uh, Green New Deal uh, for New York State, 
um, that one of your priorities would be um, taxing the top 1%. I was wondering if you kind of can um, d delve more into um, what your you know, wealth tax proposals would look like as a legislator, um, and as well as you know, how would you push for those uh, when you're in Albany? Yeah, I mean, there's a slew of wealth taxes. I mean, New York, New York State is one of the most unequal states in terms of income in the country, if not number one, I, I think it actually might be number one for most unequal states in the country. You know, we have over a hundred billionaires living in this state alone, um, dozens of them in New York City themselves. And you know, these, these New York billionaires, they've, they've gotten obscenely wealthy even during this crisis, you know, since the onset of COVID-19 in March, you know, they, they've amassed over $70 billion, over $77 billion, I think, in wealth. Um, meanwhile, there are being cuts to the healthcare cuts to housing, cuts to education, um, cuts across the cuts to transportation, cuts across the board for social services. Um, so there's definitely money um, to be you know reallocated from their pockets into the things that we we you know New Yorkers ninety percent needs. And you know there's a ton of taxes uh, ranging from you know um, taxing second homes like a pay to tear tax, uh, taxing stock transfers. Um, to uh, very, very, various wealth taxes, to altering the um, the tax code, uh, and then what I've been seeing in the movement for Green New Deal is a proposed five percent tax on uh, marginal tax on incomes over five hundred thousand dollars, which is expected to raise a uh, ten billion a year, which could be um, you know pushed heavily into climate initiatives and ensuring that you know New York is a leader in in, in climate um, climate action, and you know hopefully you know we can get the rest of the, the country on board. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, New York State being a leader in climate. Obviously, you know, last year in 2019, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act was passed um, by the state legislature and then signed into law by Governor Cuomo um, that in December of that year, you know, setting New York State to achieve uh, economy-wide carbon neutrality by 2050. Um, but obviously, you know, those were just goals and um, there weren't any funding mechanisms tied into achieving those goals. Um, and, you know, historically in New York State for the past, um, you know, decade or so, um, the, both the legislature and uh, the current administration have been very um, oppositional towards um, tax increases of any scale, um, including, um, you know, even the past uh, two years after, you know, the uh, vanquishing of the IDC, still um, tax, tax increases on the top 1% are a very um, up, co a controversial uh, thing to talk about in Albany. How do you hope to, you know, overcome that, you know, decade-long of uh, trend of cutting taxes rather than raising taxes? Um, and what do you hope uh, hope um, the tax code would look like in the upcoming session? Yeah, it's um, really unfortunate we've been seeing that, and like, you know, that's Cuomo's mo, right? Which is to uh, protect the wealthiest people in the state and enact austerity measures for the rest of us. And, you know, even in the midst of us, he's repeating Republican talking points saying that if we tax the, the wealthy too much, they'll leave. Um, as we all know, it's like, where would they go? We don't know. Because <laughs> we know they wouldn't leave. And I don't think in, in previous times, like when taxes were raised after 9-11 or other economic downturns, they, they did not leave. So that's just, that's just BS. Um, but what I'm excited about now is that we have had a sea change in New York politics over the past few years. You know, in 2018, the IDC was swept out of power. And now in 2020, we have, you know, over a dozen, you know, new progressive slash socialist uh, lawmakers in the freshman class of the assembly. You have new people like myself coming into the state senate. And you have a much more vocal and active 
group of left-leaning progressive and socialist legislators who could work as a block against the governor. And um, if things go really well um, in an ideal situation, will the state Senate will be able to pick up a, a few additional seats this uh, fall in the general election. Because um, if we pick up two or three more seats in the state Senate, we'll have a veto-proof majority, at which point you know, the governor can't really stop the legislature from raising taxes on the wealthy. Definitely. Um, do you anticipate that there um, are going to be some clashes between the more insurgent uh, left that's rising in the state legislature and some of the older, uh, more moderate or even conservative Democrats currently in uh, both the Assembly and Senate that have so far opposed raising taxes on the top 1%? Yeah, I mean, the general talking point, the clash is that, you know, we, you know, we are advocating for greater taxes. And then, you know, the more conservative members say, well, if we well, one, they had to repeat the talking point that Cuomo has, which is that the rich will leave greater taxes. And the other thing that the talking point they say is that, you know, if we end up raising these taxes, it'll really harm all the Democrats that are in upstate or Long Island, where, you know, the, they claim the district's a little bit more moderate, um, where the Republicans are more competitive. And, you know, you know if, if we raise these taxes, all of a sudden the Democrats in these places will all lose their seats, you know. And, that, and the talking point is that, you know, the, the New York City Democrats are all too radical. We don't know what it's like to be, to be fighting against Republicans and, and outside New York City. But, um, which is also, you know, also just not true. I mean, you know, raising taxes on the wealthy is widely supported. Um, and everyone can see the benefits of it. Uh, definitely. You, you, you know, you mentioned uh, upstate New York. Um, obviously, you know, the climate crisis also affects uh, communities here, including, you know, the um, current austerity regime. Obviously, you know, um, austerity harms us all, but um, mm -hmm. upstate New York, including, you know, rural communities he here are also harmed by the effects that austerity has. Um, and so, you know, if, if uh, some sort of like a, a revenue uh, raiser would um, come to pass in the upcoming session, what, was, what are some of your top priorities in terms of using those funds um, in a Green New Deal? Like what would be kind of the top uh, items that you would fund to help transition away from fossil fuels for our state? You know, we have such an incredible capacity for wind energy off of Long Island. I've heard it called the Saudi Arabia, or the potential to be the Saudi Arabia of wind energy. And I know, you know, to the credit of activists and people in the movement, there have been some incredible projects proposed um, there, but you know, we still have so much more to go. I mean, there's so much capacity there, but even like right in you know, our own backyard in, in Brooklyn, uh, in my district in Sunset Park, there's a large rezoning happening or being proposed by a corporation called Industry City. And um, you know, if people in, in the community had their way, I mean, it would be a real opportunity to make sure we're building more green energy, green infrastructure right in New York's backyard. Um, I would also love to see the power grid, you know, updated, um, you know, so pe people in low communities are less prone to, um, you know, blackouts and power surges and also, you know, help out with the public takeover of utilities um, and make sure that's fully funded so that we can have, you know, public ownership of energy in the state as we move into this transition into fossil fuel, uh, sorry, fossil fuel free um, energy systems. And I'd also love to see a like, deep investment in transportation. I mean, we have the opportunity to, you know, de-incentivize people from using personal cars by really investing in fast, secure, and reliable public transit. You know, um, we need, you know, the buses, which are, uh, you know, free right now because of COVID-19 should, you know, remain that way. Let's make the subways free too. We'll invest in that. And let's make it extremely cost efficient 
and reliable and we'll you know, expand bus service, you know, uh, make it extremely cost efficient and reliable to take public transit so we can get more people out of cars um, and um, start altering the cityscape in that way. And we can reclaim, reclaim some streets um, away from cars, you know, in the way that people have been doing with like expanding outdoor dining for restaurants right now. Um, so those are just a few things. Um, in addition to, you know, we'll, we can invest in upstate too, you know, hydroelectric energy um, or, or, or geothermal, um, you know, um, you're finding um, as many ways as possible to move as quickly as possible off of fossil fuels. Definitely. And, you know, as we transition away um, from fossil fuels, how, how do you ensure that, you know, a Green New Deal for New York State uh, ensures a just transition for, um, you know, low-income communities across the state, but also communities of color to make sure that, you know, oil barons um, don't become solar barons, as a lot of activists like to say. I love that phrasing. I mean, I really do think we should be prioritizing frontline communities um, when we're talking about, um, you know, jobs, when we're talking about retrofitting, you know, buildings. Uh, you know, the people that are the, at most at risk could be like first in line for either the training for these union jobs or just the jobs themselves. Um, um, as we're as we're as we're building this new infrastructure, you know, we need to prioritize these communities that have been harmed. Um, and you know, Brooklyn has places like Red Hook, it's places like Sunset Park, um, it's places on, on the coast that were you know extremely extremely threatened by um, climate change. Yeah, and you also mentioned public power as a part of your you know incoming um, agenda as a um, legislator in Albany. Could you kind of delve more into what you mean by public power and what that would look like for our state? Yeah, um, so I'm a, I'm a socialist. So, you know, I believe in, you know, public democratic control of the means of production. Um, one means of production is energy. You know, energy runs everything in our society. It is a, it's, it's an essential um, piece of your everyday life, you know, energy needs. And I don't think it should be run for profit. I think it should be run, you know, democratically to meet the needs of everyone in our state. And how that would look is that we would start to um, take energy production and transmission out of the hands of Con Edison um, and also National Grid and you know other various you know, energy providers throughout New York State. I'm just listing the main ones in, in New York City. But um, shifting powers from those into a state-owned agency that's run not for profit, but run um, publicly for, you know, for people's benefits. And I think that's critical because, you know, right now it is profitable to use fossil fuels, right? And like kind of the Senate National Grid and, and all, you know, all their friends, so long as it's profitable for them to maintain and use and distribute um, fossil fuels, they'll, they'll continue to do so. They, they have no n need to in invest in, in clean energy on any, you know, quick time scale because that's not what their money is for them. But in something not run for money, we can truly invest in human needs and what need is uh, to, to get off of fossil fuels. Definitely, but um, what, what would you say to, you know, those uh, individuals who might be somewhat leery of, you know, a public power and, you know, the state government controlling uh, energy production? Oftentimes people would, you know, point to the MTA or other, you know, state agencies that are often very inefficient or slow in um, providing uh, services for constituents, um, for, you know, for both individuals, but also state legislators who uh, get complaints from their constituents about uh, the inefficiency of some public services. That's a great question. You know, I would just remind them that like, you know, Con Edison and National Grid have kind of failed us. You know, we have had two, um, two major blackouts that have affected predominantly low-income communities of color um, in New York City two years in a row now. You know, uh, one during a heat wave, well, both during heat waves, right? But one also during um, heat wave slash, you know, a, a, a storm. And the fact of the matter is these private sector 
um, companies are not serving us. They're serving their bottom lines. You know, um, for all intents and purposes, they are inefficient, right? Their, their infrastructure is collapsing. They're not investing it because places where it's collapsing are not, not as profitable for them. And, you know, they truthfully are aiding and abetting the warming of our planet because they are not really, they're dragging their feet on attempting to, on, on, on any change into a clean, green future. And if you want to think about, I would say these people, you know, if you want to think about truthfully a world, you know, that we believe our children and our children's children can live on, um, we're going to need to remove the profit motive from energy production and shift into clean energy as, as fast as timetable as possible. Definitely. Also, you, you mentioned, you know, um, fighting uh, for you know, our future, you know, children's future and, um, you know, future generations' future. Um, and you also mentioned that, you know, you're a public school teacher. How do you kind of combine, uh, you know, the fact that now you're um, become, you're going to become a state senator um, in Albany um, and now uh, combining, you know, your past history as a public school teacher, how do you kind of balance um, that, you know, you're first educating the future generations, uh, but you also have a chance to now uh, fight for their future. Uh, I was just kind of curious, like, how, how do you kind of see those things connecting with each other? Yeah, I mean, it informs what I do. Uh, I, I can't imagine, I mean, I'm a public school teacher, you know, I spend most of my job is with, with children, with students, and I can't imagine, you know, spending most of your day with children not worrying that they won't have a planet to live on in 20 or 30 years. I, I, I look at them and I, I truthfully worry that by the time they're my age, that there will be a mass climate refugee crisis, uh, just unbearable summers, uh, just you know, art, ice in the Arctic will be just a distant memory. Um, you know, sea level rises, droughts, droughts, not even just the global south, like even in just the American south, just uh, droughts um, uh, just extended. I, I imagine that they'll live in a really sad and unlivable world. And it's, it's frightening for me that it's, it's, it, it's them. And not even, not even like, not even their children, like them, the students I teach. Um, and it makes me realize like, we really, we are out of time with this. Um, you know, the time to act on this was yesterday. It was last year. It was a decade ago. Um, and it makes me real. It just, every time I, you know, I teach, I just think about the urgency of how important, you know, climate action is now. Definitely. And, um, you know, with that urgency, a lot of your incoming uh, freshman class also uh, uh, share that urgency with the campaign messaging they ran on. Um, and, you know, you're also part of incoming freshman class um, to become a part of a new legislature that many observers are hailing as one of the most progressive in recent state history. Uh, what do you as a cohort hope to accomplish? Um, and what realistic do you, realistically do you think can get done in the upcoming session, both on climate and also the other um, issues that your, your cohort is uh, passionate about? Um, I'm really honored to be part of this cohort, and I'm really excited for the amount of noise we're going to make. And I've already been hearing the phrase "good trouble," which we're all happy to to uh, to make together. But I, I'm feeling very confident about you know expanding um, housing protections together. Uh, I think the New York Health Act is definitely on the table, and I think it's going to be hard for the governor to um, you know put a stop in it while while the pandemic continues to rage on into next year, which I'm I'm fairly sure. It will. I mean, I, I feel also confident that we'll, we'll get um, full funding for education. And we, I imagine we'll get some taxes on the rich passed. I don't know 
if we'll get all of them passed, but we will definitely have a different tax code and additional taxes passed. I mean, the need for funding from the wealthiest people is so dire. And the calls are happening just from other electeds now, even some of the quote unquote more moderate electorates from, from Senate and Assembly leadership, and just on the ground amongst, you know, nonprofits and all the movement organizations, like the rallying cry against, you know, the amount of obscene wealth being concentrated in the midst of all the suffering in the, you know, COVID-19 era is just so loud. And I, I can't imagine anyone standing in the way of that. Definitely. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? Um, no, I just want to thank y'all again for doing this podcast. It's important to get, you know, voices out there, especially for the environment and, you know, spreading the word about that. And, um, you know, we'll keep up the fight and thanks for being in it. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time and we're looking forward to seeing what you do in Albany in the upcoming session. Our producers are Anna Sarasoletti, Natalie Penna, and Sophie Campbell. The music is by Francis Bach. Our guest today was Democratic State Senate nominee for the 25th District, Jabari Brisport. Thank you so much for listening to our episode today. You can check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at NY2CL, Twitter at NYYouthClimate, or you can check us out on our website at NY2CL.org.